0: You have your Bibles. Let's open them up. We're going to be in uh, James chapter four today. Uh, you're like it's only taken us seven weeks to get that way, uh, but we are we have made it to uh, James chapter four. So congratulate the person next to you for making it this far. Uh, we're going to travel really just about twelve verses, uh, but but let us get connected to where we were uh, last week, since where we are today kind of builds on where we were uh last sunday uh james is arguing uh that there is a way to operate in two different kinds of wisdom when it comes to your life uh he will say first that there is a an earthly wisdom or a false wisdom uh and, uh and that is that there's a way to live your life that is categorically false uh that it becomes out of step with god and uh and then there's a way to live your life uh, that lines up with what he calls true wisdom or, or heavenly wisdom that lives in step with uh, God's design and, and how he has designed things to work. And so, uh, and so we, we kind of saw this through two lenses, uh, that, that the first truth that we explored was that, number one, uh, at the end of the day and at the end of all situations, God is for God. Uh, and that's actually great news for you. Uh, that, that God is, what we said, he was uppermost in his affections. Uh, that yes, he loves you, that yes, he cares for you, uh, but ultimately his desire, his pursuit is the glory of his name. And again, that's, that's great news for us because if, if it wasn't, okay, and let's just be honest, if everything revolved around you the way that you would like it to, uh, and God was uppermost in his affections for you, not for himself, he by definition would become an idolater, uh, and then everything that we believe crumbles uh, the moment that 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 becomes true. And so, and then the second lens uh, was that because God is for God, uh, because He is the Creator of all things, that He has designed all things to work in a very specific way. Meaning, uh, He decides uh, what is pure and what is good and what is worthy. Of him, and and so we said that there was a uh, toward the end of our time, uh, we said there was a litmus test that you could kind of put into your life as you as you uh, do as Paul would say, uh, as James would say, that you would look in a mirror and you would look at your reflection and you'd say, okay, what kind of a wisdom am I walking in? And the litmus test was simply this: that if the pursuit of your life ends up being about making much of you, uh, then you're walking in earthly wisdom. Uh, And he says you'll know it because there will be certain things that are at play, Uh, things like jealousy and selfishness uh, and boasting, uh, that you would try to tear down other people so that you could be exalted in many ways. And so, so he says if that's the pursuit of your life, then you need to understand you're walking in earthly wisdom. But he says if the pursuit of your life makes much of God, that it lives high in the name of Jesus, that it, it lives to put the gospel on display in both our words and our actions and our reactions, then we are we should be, we could be operating uh, in, in the heavenly wisdom. And so as we travel through the word, as we walk in community with the saints, we, we have to pay attention to the footsteps of, of those who have walked in front of us because they put on display heavenly wisdom. And so... That's, that's where we left off. And now what James is going to do at the beginning of chapter 4 is he's going to, he's going to carry that thought into these verses and he's going to ask us to look at uh, when we are in conflict with uh, specifically believers. Remember, he's writing uh, this letter to believers in Jesus. So when he brings some difficult words to us and he brings some judgments upon us, he's saying, hey, the way you're treating each other isn't healthy. Uh, so, so where he leads us today... Is is where where we are? What we are really dealing with when we find ourselves in quarrels and fights with one another, uh, and and so uh, it's actually pretty pretty great what he what he says. And so let's let's get into it. Father, we come to you and we pray that your word would speak to us today. That we would be very mindful of. Uh, any of our justifications, any of our defenses that we want to build. We pray that that through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be very mindful of your movement in these words. And we thank you that you give them to us. That we're not left here wondering what it is, how it is you want us to live, but you show us very plainly at times. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us spirits that are courageous enough to apply it. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, let's just get going. Uh, Luke, here we go. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He's at, James asked this question. And I love it. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? If you like to underline your Bible, that's a great clarifying statement. Uh, Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. then he says these words, You adulterous people. And you're like, James, makes me feel good about myself, right? You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, uh, with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Okay, so, so here's what that means. That means hostility towards God. Friendship with the world reveals a hostility toward God. Not an indifference to God, uh, but, but rather in, it, but not an indifference to Him, but a hostility towards Him. And now I'll be honest with you, you, you can bow up to a lot of people in your life. All right? I'm not sure it's a good idea to make yourself an enemy to the creator of the universe. Alright? I'm just saying. You, you could bow up to me. We could have a slap fight. You would win. Right? So I'm not throwing punches. I'm just doing this. All right? You can win that very easily. But to walk in front of the creator of the universe and say, by my nature, I am hostile towards you. I don't think that's a fight you want to pick. Alright? So he continues in verse uh, 5. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace? Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Then we get some action steps, and we'll get to all this. Verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. Let your joy turn gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So So he opens this section with a question, he ends it with a question, right? What causes quarrels and fights among you? Then he answers, and then he leads us down here, but who are you to judge uh, your neighbor, and so so James says says our wisdom walks right into the conflicts of our lives. Our wisdom walks right into it. We we all struggle uh, with conflicts and quarrels. Sometimes those quarrels are are birthed out of very legitimate wrongs, uh, some very legitimate sins, uh, legitimate harm happens to us, and then uh, and then again, not all fights are super evil. Um, some of them are just. The fact that we are in conflict, but but the type of conflicts that James is describing here uh, are the ones that are birthed out of a disordered heart. He's been very honest with us this whole time about what's going on in here and how we need to be aware of what's stirring uh, in here. And, and, and the conflict uh, that he says is it's external. Uh, it, I'm sorry, it's not external. It's it's internal. All right, let's go back to verse one. What causes quarrel and fights among you, is, this, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That you are at war. And, and, and now here's what he's just told us. And I know this is going to be difficult for some of us to heal, hear. Alright? So what's causing the problems in your life? Isn't it something going on inside your heart? It's, it's not your rude boss and it's not your crazy mother-in-law. That, that there is something going on. It's not circumstantial. It's internally a spiritual reality. That, that, that our struggle with the wars waging come in the ways we view the movement of God in our lives. Let me explain what that is. So, so when we are most spiritually healthy, uh, we uh, are aware of the goodness of God. Now... It might not have panned out exactly like you thought, but God had, it could have been much worse. And so when we are more spiritually healthy, we see very easily the goodness of God. We're able to spot just these simple generosities that God has given us. We appreciate the fact that there's sun out today. Uh, we, we, we love the fact that, that we have just a little bit of breath, right? Uh, that we have just a little bit of coin in our pocket to go buy Taco Casa. Uh, which at the, when we buy it, we say, God, please bless us to the nourishment of our body. And he says, no, you bought Taco Casa, you deserve what you get. Okay, That's the way it works. But we remember, we know that this is the way it plays out. That when we are most spiritually healthy, we see those things at play. And the gratitude of God's graciousness leads... The gladness. And here, here's what's great about that. Our gladness fuels our gratitude. And our gratitude fuels our gladness. And it's just this beautiful thing. Simply because we see the generosity of God as a gift. That, that you're not owed health, and you're not owed money. You're not owed good friends or a fun marriage or a stable family. You were owed. Nothing from God, and yet He gifts you with so much. And the gladness leads to gratitude, and it keeps expanding your view of the care of God in your life. That's the way this works itself out. And and then they, we have this other view, uh, is that that God's movement can feed uh, our entitlement. Okay, and so so uh, so so when this is sprouting, your gratitude and your gladness gets replaced with contempt and expectations. Uh, and, and so, so when, when you think you deserve uh, your owed, right? God should give you whatever it is you want, and when you don't have that, you grow very contemptuous with Him. Uh, first, you actually, not with Him at first. First, it's the other person, right? Because they have what you believe you deserve. And eventually, it always works out this way, it will always lead you to God. Your, your contempt, you holding people in contempt will always lead you to holding God in contempt. Always. And when, when you see other people get blessed, you can't rejoice in that. And it's a problem. It is. And, and uh, because you deserve that and you use this argument, God, it's only fair that I would get that, and, and I, re- I read this line this week and I love it. It says this, that the greatest celebration in the heart of man should be around the unfair, unfairness of God. Right? The greatest celebration in the heart of man should be around the unfairness of God because you don't want what you deserve. You don't. You, you don't want that. What you deserve, uh, because you have offended you have lived a life that is hostile toward God. What you deserve is a death and eternal torment, okay? That's not what he gives you. That's not what he gives you. And, and so, so the fact that God gives even common grace to unbelievers, right? The fact that he allows us to have breath as an unbeliever is amazing to me. The fact that he, that he lets you get married and have a job, it's amazing. It's a common grace that he gives us. Now, as children of God, we have so much better gifts that He affords us. So much greater grace that He gives us. And, 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 and all of this, though, uh, is this reminder that, A, you can't barter with God. Okay? Alright? So, so the next time you want to ask God to do something and you start it with, God, if you will do this for me, I will do this for you, understand, you have brought zero to the table. Zero. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need you not cussing. All right. I know someone's like, oh, I did that this morning." <laughs> God, if you'll let the Cowboys win today, I'll stop cussing on Mondays. Right? That doesn't add any value. Val- value? What? It- I don't know what that value. I'm from here. I stayed up. Li- Missy took me out on a date last night. It was oh, up past ten thirty. I know. Um... So you bring, you bring no value to that table. You can't barter with him. You have nothing to offer. God is for God. This is good news, right? I'm not sure, I've, by the way, I'm not sure I'm so, I've sold you that up on that yet. I don't think I've, I've convinced you that God is for God and that's good news. Um, that, that we are not necessary for God to work His sovereign plan, but we are, by His grace, invited into His story. That's incredible news. He is redeeming mankind and he says, I've commissioned you. Through Jesus, I've given you a purpose. And that purpose is for you to put my name on display. And so, so what happens though when we, are, when we grow in our entitlement and our contemptment is, is we turn on others and eventually we turn our frustrations on God. And this is what it says in verses 2 and 3, right? And this leads us to a word uh, that lands hard on our hearts in verse 4, uh, where he just says this, You adulterous people. You adulterous people. And adultery is simply this, you're a promise breaker. You've, you've broken a promise. You made a promise and you broke it. And there, there's little argument about that, right? We understand the definition of adultery. You you and I are promise breakers with each other, and then more importantly with God. Uh, that if we're honest, some of us have made promises to God that we had zero intention in keeping. In fact, some of you in the morning will say something, knowing in the afternoon you're breaking that promise, as if you could fool God, right? As if he could be like, "What? I didn't see that coming." So he says, says, you adulterous people, verse 4, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity uh, with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we make a dangerous decision when we lack gratitude and gladness and instead walk in entitlement and grow contempt toward those around you and finally upon God. We decide that if God's not going to give me what I deserve, I just won't be His friend anymore. And and I will give my friendship to those who are most hostile towards him. And what we fail to realize is, is the offer from the other side is not freedom and joy and peace. right? The offer from the other side is empty and it enslaves you. And it robs you of a life and a purpose and an intimacy with your true hero. Okay? So friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God. And now, I'd like you to just pause for a second because I know the argument you're building. You're asking a very valid question in your heart or even in your mind of why can I have both? Right? Why can't I have friendship with God and friendship with the world? Right? I mean, do they, do they have to be against each other? And yes, they are. They are. They don't work with one another. And the reason is that, that the world is trying to kill you. God is trying to save you. He's trying to rescue you. That's, by definition, that's what's that play. That the world will lead you to death. God will lead you to life. And so they, they don't mix. God redeems the heart of man and the ways of the world so that His glory is put on display. And this is why verses 5 and 6 are, are very helpful to us. He says this, Or do you suppose that it's no purpose that the Scripture says, Okay, and Scripture says this, he yearns jealously over the Spirit He's made to dwell in us. But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And, and I think the, the topic of the jealousy of God uh, gets pretty confused. Um, because when we tend to think of jealousy, we think of it in regards of, of being birthed out of fear or insecurity. And that's definitely not... The jealousy that God has over us. Uh, That He's not insecure about our relationship. Uh, God is not jealous about you. He's jealous for you. He's jealous for you to see His majesty, His great worth. And this jealousy is not built around, oh, look what they have or look what they don't have, uh, because we've covered this. You, you, You don't have anything that He hasn't provided, you have nothing that God hasn't already provided. His jealousy is I put my spirit in there and my glory is at stake. Their joy is at stake. And so his jealousy stems from from the love of his own name and the hope that your joy would be in that name and it might reflect more perfectly his goodness and his graciousness. And I love uh, John Piper. uh, He he put it this way and I love this. He says, God's jealousy is... Uh, jealousy is not the reflex of weakness or fear. Instead, God is jealous like a like a powerful and a merciful king who takes a peasant girl from a life of shame, forgives her, marries her, gives her not the chores of a slave, but the privilege of a wife, a queen. His jealousy does not rise from fear or weakness, but a holy indignation at having His honor and His power and His mercy scorned by the faithlessness of a fickle spouse. And so so you have this picture of of someone rescued and ransomed and cleaned and put in a place of honor who then betrays that rescue, runs back to her shame. And God is, is jealous for the Spirit that He's given us. He's jealous for us to experience the fullest joy possible, made possible only in, in knowing and loving and following Him. He will share you with no other. Okay, and if you're married, do you share your spouse with anyone else? No. Not even with your kids. If you're my you're my wife before you're their mother. I'm your husband before I'm their father. And so if if we can get that concept just a little bit here, understand that God says this, you are the bride of Christ. I'm not sharing you with the world because the world can't satisfy you the way I can. The world can't light you up the way that I can. And so so the question is this, because James has called us adulterous people, right? Right? He's looked at the church and says, church, you're adulterous. And so, so now the question is, how does God respond to this type of adultery when we do this? When we try to say, hey, why can't I be friends with both? Why can't I be married to God and the world? Why can't I do that? And, and so what's God's response to this kind of, of blasphemy, this type of hostility? What does God do uh, when we say, hey, you're not a good king, you're not a good God, so I'm going to go to your enemies and I'm going I'm to let them try to take care of me? How does God respond to that? And I want you to pay attention because verse 6 is huge. In fact, underline it, square it, arrows to it, always keep it close to you. He says this, but he gives more grace. It's a crazy sentence. He gives more grace. And it connects us to Romans chapter 5 verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. <laughs> right? And if we stop there, here's what he's saying. When the law came in, it reveals that we're in trouble. That, 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 that Moses comes down from the mountain. I think we're going to, maybe in the spring, I don't know. There's so many things I want to talk about. Um, but, but, but Moses spends some time with God on top of the mountain, and, and in this encounter, God gives him uh, the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments. He chisels it on stone, and, and it's taken too long for Moses to come down the mountain, and there are things going on with the nation of Israel that is dangerous. So Moses is coming down the mountain. He's carrying these two rocks, Right, And on the top one, as he looks down, people are worshipping a golden calf. And there's this, this kind of crazy, wicked, depraved kind of, of scene going on. And, and as Moses is looking down, his eyes catch the first one. That first commandment. And it simply says something like this, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. For I am your God. I am jealous. I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the father to the next generation, and so he comes down. He's talking with guy He's like, "Hey, uh, hey, Aaron, you just probably put that calf away, right? Uh, I, I, God, I was telling him he shouldn't have done it, but he did it. I don't know why. It's a calf, right? Not very majestic, right? Let's do a tiger or a unicorn or a liger. I don't know, you know. Let's not not even a cow, right?" I mean, this is like a baby calf. None of you've never driven past and I'm like, oh, that is awe inspiring. That calf. And so so the first commandment reveals I've trespassed. Right? That the level of the trespass increases. So the more commandments we start to look at, the more trouble we realize that we're in. Don't lie. Uh oh. Don't have anger in your heart. Uh. Don't covet. Oh, no, that one, really? Don't steal. And as he reads those, the level of our guilt, it increases. But, but look at the same time. In, verse, in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Matt Chandler says this, there is no sin with more power than the cross of Christ. There is no sin with more power than the cross of Christ. Regardless of how high the sin volume is in your life, grace abounds all the more. And he goes, I love the way he words it. Uh, it abounds all the more. It monumentally Abounds. It's not like a squeaker at the end of the, the quarter kind of abounding. It, it, uh, it, it, it's grace doesn't win by a hair, it wins by a link. Grace blows sin right out of the water. It finishes, it showers, it gets dressed, goes to the press conference, and then sin crosses the finish line. Grace abounds all the more. And it's good news. That's, good, that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that, that grace abounds all the more all the more. And so how does God respond to our adultery? By turning up the volume of grace so loudly that the volume of rebellion is no longer heard, but is destroyed altogether. Altogether. And it's good news. That's good news of grace. And so, so, so how do we respond to that, right? That's a great question because James is telling us in verse 7. He says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Purify your... I'm sorry. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Uh, purify your mind, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy to gloom. And then he says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So our question in our talk notes is simply this. How do we respond to God's grace? And James says, Submit. Now I know that's not very... Texan of us, right? We don't like to submit to much of anything until we're forced to, and so to voluntarily submit, we're like, oh, he's got to prove his worth first. So we let go, and that's that's a hard one. I, I can read that on your faces, right? We've grown comfortable with our grip on lesser and deadlier things. and, and now, so, so the prospect of letting go leads us to think that we may not um, know how to grip or reach for the things that God is offering. And so the things that are killing you that you have such a tight grip on, you say, well, if I let go, I don't know if I can grab something else. And so this is what we do with our lives. We try to hold on and we try to reach. And God says, if you could reach from here to here, that's not faith. That's certainty. And he says, the good things in my life, as you hold on to this, and as you let go of lesser gods, you grab hold of me. And it's in that fall that I catch you. And so so we've grown too comfortable with our grip And the prospect of letting go makes us worry. Forgetting the fact that the grip we have on sinful things is killing you. It's causing you the stress and it's causing you the anxiety that you're asking God to take away from you. Alright? Let's just understand that little dysfunction that we bring to the table. God, please take this fear away from me. God, please take this situation away from me. And God's like, let it go. Stop doing the thing that you say you don't want to do. So, so the question now is, how do we submit, right? James says submit, and we say how, and James gives us three things. That number one, we resist the devil. Resist the devil. Now I think we have to be careful there because I think the devil gets a lot of blame for our own deception. Okay, uh, I, I think if you're o- if pretty open as you read the Bible. Um, the devil made me do it is rarely a good excuse right and so 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 we see from the word that that 's the way it plays out and so so what is his role? what is my role as we wrestle against sin and and I think when we bring that question to the table, uh, Paul would tell us you 're looking in the wrong places but he he says this in first Corinthians chapter ten. I think if you 've spent really any time in church you 've probably heard uh this before, but he says this. I don't think I even put it in, uh, on the screen. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Okay, so let's, okay, here's what that means. Your sinful temptation is not unique. Like, like God is not saying, oh man, this is a new one. Uh, We've got to figure out how to help him through this. No, none of that is unique. Right. So, so there's no temptation that is overtaking you that's not common to man. God is faithful, okay, and listen, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, okay. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape, okay. And now, there's arguments about what the way of escape means. And I think it means two different things. I think Christ is the way of escape from sin, okay. And then I think very specifically, out of His intimate care for you, He provides very specific ways to escape. That when you're tempted to do something that He very clearly has told you not to do, He gives you an out. Now the hard part is taking the out. And so, so he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it, because God doesn't want you crushed. He wants you living. And so, so, so what the Bible teaches is that we have a legitimate in, enemy, that, that I have a real flesh in me that desires to rebel against the Lord, and those two things come together, and it's a quite powerful pull on my heart from the Lord towards friendship with the world. That, that's the way this is playing itself out. And God says, submit, we ask how, and He says, resist. Okay? Now, here's what He doesn't say. Okay? Run. He doesn't say run. He says resist, and that word is important for us to acknowledge that's, that that is being said, because it invokes a wartime posture, right? It says that you would stand firm, that you wouldn't run to the hills and hide, that you would stand up, you would pull out the sword of the Spirit, and you would slay it. You would fight it. That when the enemy is attacking, that when your sinfulness is at play, that you would stand firm. That you would go to war with the war that is waging in you. That you give them no ground. So when we believe the Word, when we apply it to our lives, the Holy Spirit is inside me. I don't... Do you realize this? If the Holy Spirit is living inside you, you don't have to sin anymore. You don't. Now, you, you may stumble, right? But you don't have to. That I resist, and God is faithful to make a way out. And this is... There's always an escape. And here's the thing. There's always an escape based on His promise, not my circumstance. Okay? His promise, not my circumstances. So, so number two, so, so we resist the devil. Number two, we pursue God. And so this command is, is that, that we will draw near to God, right? But you know, the thing is, verse 8, draw near to God, but don't miss the promise. He will draw near to who? You. He will draw near to you. We don't have to recreate, recreate the will of how we do this, right? Uh, we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks. Uh, how do you pursue God? Uh, number one, the Word. Right? You would pursue Him through the Word. Not that you would just know the Bible, but that you would read and you would know the God of the Bible. That You don't read it like it's a news feed. Uh, you don't read it like you would the newspaper. Uh, you, you read it like you're on a date. You don't read for facts and figures and history lessons. You, you read it to gaze upon the beauty of God. Let what you read fuel what you believe. Let it stir you. Let it transform you. Number two, so, so we pursue God through the Word. We pursue God, number two, through the body. Through the body. He's called us uh, toward one another. And some of God's choicest blessings happen when we get around those who love Him, and as we walk alongside them, as we seek to love Him more. Community is an indispensable part of your Christian growth. It is that that if your involvement—let and let me just say it this way: if, if your involvement here at Merge is that you love the donuts, uh, that that you love coming in here and, and you like it when I talk to you, or or you love it when when swine sings, uh, that, is, that is great and that is good, but let me tell you when that isn't enough, when life happens. okay? Because when life happens, what you, what you don't need is another sermon or another song. What you need is a community of people who battle alongside you, who walk alongside you, who protect you, who fight with you, who pray over you. Right, That's what you really need. That's what a church is supposed to be about. That you would have that community of people. And now, here's what I know. Trying to find community can be difficult. It can be. It can be awkward. Because you're like, I don't know how to date these people. I don't know. It can be messy because sometimes people can be annoying Right And that's good news because sometimes you're the person that's annoying to the other people, okay and so community works itself we are we are refined best in the furnace of community we are and then lastly so so um, we we pursue God through the word, through the body, uh, and then thirdly through the mature and what what I mean by that is is we walk with people who are more mature in the faith than we are. We get to watch the footsteps of their lives and we pay attention to how they act and how they react. We ask them questions about what God is doing in their hearts. And we find, we find people to mentor us and then we find people who we can disciple. That's the way that works. That's, when you walk through the Bible, that's the method that you see played out in discipleship. You have mentors, you have disciples. And there are times when the disciple becomes the mentor, and then that mentor has a mentor. So we resist the devil, we pursue God through the Word. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, number three, we're, we're serious about sin. We become serious about sin. Just, James says we are serious about sin in two ways. right? He says, he says cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. And I love it, because he says, clean your hands, you sinners. And you're like, well, who's he talking to? He's talking to the unchurched people, right? He's talking to the actual sinners. And James is like, no, 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 I'm writing this letter to the church. Talking to you people who have deceived yourselves. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And I love that he doesn't just stay there. He says, pay attention to your desire. And take them captive. Take those desires captive and confess them and fight in the arena of your heart and in your mind that, that we're called to mourn and to weep and, and that, that causes us to have to slow down just for a moment. It causes me to slow down just for a moment and to consider in my life when was the last time that my sin brought me sorrow? That, that my temptation... Broke my heart because it broke the heart of God. James says, hey, don't just worry about these external clean hands that you have. You've got to deal with your heart, and when you do, be serious about it. Don't just say, hey, God, my bad. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what we do typically when we want to take ownership, but not too much ownership. My bad. Yeah. I didn't mean to when you really did. So we have to I, I just wonder that with us at times. Does my sin before my God break my heart the way it breaks his? And I think it's 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 in it's in the brokenness over our sin that forgiveness and grace of this jealous God Launches us into joy. And then we get to these last two verses and we can start wrapping this up, Swan. I think this is these last two verses, it's a great challenge for our community. Not not the community of Azel, but the community here at Merge. It says this do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against uh, speaks evil against the law and judges the law, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver, there's only one judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but but who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, and so so we get this this frame of, of verbiage here about judgment, realizing that there's this friendly reminder that you're not a good one. You're not a good judge. You're fickle. You're short-sighted. At times you're mean-spirited, right? You now that's only sometimes. So he says you've got to be careful. And so here's, here's the way this argument's been running through James. He, he's been saying, those who have experienced grace and mercy and the love of God through Christ those who understand how grace abounds and triumphs over sin, that our lives are different. The way we live our lives are different. The way we think through our lives are different. That they don't speak in ways and they don't act in ways that tear other people down. And this isn't like, oh, I'm just not an optimistic person or I'm not a bubbly personality. That's that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that when you understand the gospel, you don't seek to tear other people down. And here's a great question to ask. Are you more apt to see the shortcomings or the strength in other people? And that vision will affect how you treat them. That vision will will affect how you grow closer to them. And James is arguing that, that when where we walk in true wisdom and where we understand the grace of God, that quarrels and fights and judgments, they begin to dissipate. Not that you wouldn't find yourself in one, but that you wouldn't constantly find yourself in one. You wouldn't constantly be in a fight with someone. But that when we are in them, we're quick to own it. We're, we're, we're quick to, to seek forgiveness. We're quick to absorb things that, that normally we would try to make about our, ourselves at the expense of others. Can you imagine what would happen in a community of faith where, the, where we were most of all experts on how God is growing each other? that we would know what God is speaking into each other's lives. That we would be encouraged by it. That we would be able to say, hey, I, I see what God is doing in your life, and it's beautiful, and I'm so excited. How can I be the companion for that adventure you're on? That... That we together would praise God for what He is doing in us, through us, and around us. So James says, What's causing the problem? What's causing the fight? And we say, Well, they did this. And He says, It's here. It's your quarrel with others stemming from your heart. So we want to wrap up today doing some hard work, right? No, it's not necessarily as much fun as what they're having in that room, right? But you don't get healthy without doing the hard work. You don't get stronger without lifting the heavier weights. And so James says, Ask your God what's going on here. So, here's the way we're going to end. I'm going to give you that time. Chris is going to play. He's not, we're, not going to, we're not going to sing. All right. You had your moment. All right. He's going, to, he's going to play for about three or four minutes. And we're going to give you an opportunity to ask your heart some questions. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Uh, The Hansons and the Woodwards, they're going to be right over this way. They want to pray with you. If you need to ask Jesus into your heart, there's no better way to, to fight a war than letting Him be in control. So, I love you guys. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care about us, that you walk us through some of our struggles, all of our struggles. We thank you that our lives can be different because of what you've done for us in Jesus. And I just pray over these next three or four minutes that you would remove distractions from us That You would slow the pace of our hearts down. That we would be able to ask You to expose parts of us. And then secondly, Father, I pray that that we would be able to, to ask You to show us where You are moving in our lives. We thank You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.